We want to start this episode by acknowledging the Gadigal and the Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this very podcast. We also pay our deep respect to Elders past, present and future, always was, always will be. This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. Good evening, it's your favourite podcast in the whole world. It's Sorry He Sucks! Welcome to our... Episode four. (laughs) And mouse. (laughs) Oh, episode four of season three. Very exciting. I'm excited. We're giving the people what they don't want. You know what that is. It's the art episode. An art episode. Do you like art? I love it. I love art. Um, It's probably going to be a long one as they always are just such like deviant little psychos. They're very interesting. And I think we should just be just totally transparent from the get-go. My beautiful next-door neighbours who I really adore are having a little (laughs) get-together and fucking good for them. And there may be a little bit of noise and just we're going to get through it. You're going to hear people going, (laughs) it's flair. And saying things, nice things to each other probably, but hopefully you can't hear exactly what they're saying because they might be pissed off about yeah, that. Yeah, we probably need to get some kind of signature on that. Like some <laughs> kind of, have a form or... Sign off. Yeah, sign off. Yeah, something like yeah. that. All right. So tonight I'm doing someone who's probably one of the most famous artists of the 20th century. So am I. Oh, sorry. Hit well, my microphone. <laughs> Get your extreme hold moustache wax ready. That's right. It's Salvador Domingo Felipe Jacinto Dali e Dominice, first marquee of Dali de Pulo. Well, shit. Salvador Dali. Yep. Um, it's a long fucking name. It's pretty long. Um, he's a Spanish surrealist and... Something else that I'll probably tell you about later because I don't want to ruin this first bit with nasty things like fascism. Oops. Oh, oh. I spilled. Uh, his story starts nine months before he was born when his older brother, Salvador, yes, his older brother, Salvador Dali, <laughs> died of gastroenteritis at the tiny and tragic age of three. And his parents, who were understandably devo about this, uh, made the pretty unusual choice to give their new baby the same name. That's hectic. And they also said a lot of weird shit to him, like that he was the reincarnation of his brother, which is pretty crazy. It's a lot. It's bound to fuck you up. Mm. So he was pretty haunted by this dead brother. Later in life, he said, quote, We resembled each other like two drops of water, but we had different reflections. It's mm. deep. It is deep. Um, he also said that he was, quote, 
probably a first version of myself, but conceived too much in the absolute, which is such an annoying, like, postmodern thing to say. It is. Um, His brother also turned up in several of his paintings, including one very imaginatively titled Portrait of My Dead Brother. Oh, what's it about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, He grew up in the Catalonian city of Figueres uh, with his father, whose name was Salvador Rafael Antiseto Dali Cusi, Mm. and his mother, Felipa Domenece Ferreres, and his younger sister, Anna Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sal Senior was a successful lawyer and apparently a bit of a disciplinarian. Mm. Um, And thus little Sal was terrified of him. Mm -hmm. He loved Felipa, though. Um, She was from an artistic family and she taught Sal how to make figurines out of wax, how to paint, really encouraged his creativity. I've never thought of his name as Sal, so off-putting, but I love it. I'm going to do it a lot. Please. Um, And she was really proud of her little boy. She boasted about his childhood talents. She'd said to someone... When he says he'll draw a swan, he draws a swan. Whoa. And when he says he'll do a duck, it's a duck. Amazing. Which is pretty impressive for a kid. They usually just scribble, you know. Yeah. Um, And then you say like, oh, who's that? And then they say something like, oh, it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And it's just a scribble. And you're like, oh, my God, it's so good. It looks just like it. Yeah. You're a liar. They turn you into liars. They do. Um. Salvador was super spoiled by his mother mm-hmm. and all of this household, like, servants or workers or whatever. So he was pretty well-to-do. They loved the shit out of that little weirdo. Mm. But he fucking hated school. He got teased a lot. Um, he had weird, like, weird phobias. He was terrified of grasshoppers. Terrified. And other kids would catch them and, like, chuck them at him just so they could hear him screaming his little head off. He was also a massive daydreamer. His dad didn't like that. Mm. Pissed off about his progress at school, so he sent him to this really, really fancy private school where they only spoke French. So when he was only five, he's five, and his dad was like, you're not doing good, you're a daydreamer. He's five. It's sort of weird, right? Yeah. He could speak Catalan, Spanish and French, which is impressive. And Very. French would be the language that he adopted the most, like, within his art. He would, like, write things on his paintings always in French. Okay. Anyway, despite learning French, he still, like, he fucking hated school. Didn't matter if it was fancy in French. Yeah. Um, his favourite times were his summer holidays that the family spent in, like, a nearby seaside town of Cataclys. Um, The town is only about two hours' drive from Barcelona. It's a super nice, sleepy, beautiful tourist town. Um, And the rocks along the coast here were a massive inspiration to him. They had these sort of random holes in them. The light would change the way they looked. They're pretty amazing and you can see them in you know those funny landscapes that mm. 
that looks like that place. Yeah, right, okay. He'd also see little faces and figures within the rock holes and Mm -hmm. it was very fun and inspiring for him. It was also home to some pretty wild-looking marine life that you also can definitely see in many of Dali's works. Those grasshoppers pop up a lot too. Oh, they're frightening. Very. (laughs) Um, And as a kid he would spend the whole summer just drawing and being creative, just loving life. Sounds lovely, right? Mm, I like it. On the Spanish coast. Dali had a very distinctive personality even when he was a kid. He wanted to express a very authentic version of himself but he also did want to be a major success. He was always very driven. In his biography titled The Secret Life of Salvador Dali, mm-hmm. um, he said, quote, At the age of six, I wanted to be a cook. At seven, I wanted to be Napoleon. And my ambition has been growing steadily ever since. Well, that's impressive. Napoleon did have some ambition, to, but to want to be Napoleon and then to have further ambition is... Yes. Uh, <laughs> Big boots. Uh, he had his first ex... Actually, it was tiny, teeny, tiny boots. <laughs> yeah, a little, tiny little man. Uh, Dali had his first exhibition in Figueres when he was just 14. Wow. When he was just 16, his sweet mummy died of breast cancer and Salvador was absolutely devastated as you would be. Yeah. Um, he said of this time, it was the greatest blow I had experienced in my life. I worshipped her. I could not resign myself to the loss of a being on whom I counted to make invisible the unavoidable blemishes of my soul. Which wow. is beautiful. Mummy. Love my mom. She's the best. She's listening. I love you. We both love you, Lily. Shout out, Lily. Like, um, <laughs> I'll just move on. Some summer or another, down in Cataclys, he had met a man by the name of Ramon Pichon. Oh, who was an artist from Paris who happened to know your mate Pablo Picasso. <laughs> yeah, uh, and this guy Ramon Pichon. Um, He taught Sal to paint like the Impressionists, Um, but he was also pretty into the avant-garde scene that was emerging at the time and sort of taught Sal all about that stuff. Um, He mentored Salvador all through his youth and it was Ramon who was able to convince Sal's scary dad to send him to the San Fernando Academy of Art in Madrid. Hmm. And when he arrived in Madrid, he caught people's attention right away, not just because he was very thin and almost six feet tall. He also dressed like a massive dandy with, like, long hair, sideburns, this, like, long coat with stockings and knee breeches in this very Oscar Wilde-esque style that so was outdated around, by about 40 years yeah, what, Around what time was this? Probably around 1915, 16. Okay. Maybe 20 even actually. Yeah, well, sorry. sorry. The first half of the 19th century. I mean, sorry, <laughs> the 20th century. Very early. Um, 
Mm. He made friends with the poet Federico Garcia Lorca, who I remember very unfondly from university. Okay. And Lorca was super hot for Dali. And even though they had a very passionate relationship, Sal was not really into sex. So they never did it. Okay. Um, despite this, they still remained really close friends, like BFFs. I nearly said BFFs forever, but that is best what... friends forever. Forever. Yeah. Well, maybe that is that's you and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, they were very close until Frederico died in the Spanish Civil War in 1936, which is fucking sad. Yeah. Sal almost finished his university studies. Uh, but told a lot of people that he dropped out just before the end because, as he saw it, none of the teachers were competent enough to judge his work. Ooh. But what actually happened was (laughs) he was expelled when he refused to take the final oral exam, claiming, I am infinitely more intelligent than these three professors, which is pretty... Arrogant? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he was getting into Dada, your fave. My fave. Futurism, my fave. Hey. Cubism, Picasso's fave. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was spending a lot of time at the Prado Museum studying the greats. He wanted to be able to do everything. Okay, that's good. Um, and he also at this time discovered Sigmund Freud, who became... Wanker. Well, he became a major influence on Sal's work. Yawn, yeah, okay. Um, I think I might have actually said this on this show before, the only show that I ever speak on. Sorry, he sucks. <laughs> um, but like uh, I think it was in the female eunuch, Jermaine Greer said um, psycho, uh, uh, Sigmund Freud was the father of psychoanalysis. It had no mother. I just yeah, really enjoyed it. <laughs> that's good. I embroidered it on a piece of paper once. Aww. I'll show you later. I'd love to say it. Salvador had a few shows where he exhibited and sold out of his, like, Cubist-style work. He was already getting successful commercially. I can't imagine how that would feel. I, like, I've sold artworks before and I always price them too low and I'm always just like, oh, man, I should have covered the cost of the frame. <laughs> and then, <laughs> But, like, to sell out a show must just mm. be wild. Yeah. I know that's silly because loads of people would, but it's just like it just must be the most amazing feeling. Yeah, totally. Yeah. In 1926, he went to Paris for the first time and he met the great Pablo Picasso, Mm. who, like every fucking painter ever, he fucking loved. Um, He was introduced to him by Joan Miro, who was also a Catalan and was really impressed by Dali. Miro also introduced Dali to surrealism, Mm. which was to be Dali's main focus for the rest of his career. And uh, we have discussed surrealism before on this podcast, so if you want to know the definition, listen to that man Ray up or fucking Google it. Man, I'm not wasting my word count going over it again. Shit. (laughs) Also, you should know. It's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. God, guys, you're fucking lazy. Also, I think, like, we spoke about it on the yeah. Diego one as well, yeah, we briefly. Did. I'm sick of going over it. Look, just listen to the art episodes. They're great. You're missing out. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Nicer than I. 
Um, in August 1929, he met his muse, his dream woman. Oh. And later his manager. Oh. Gar. Chris Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> she is my muse dream woman. Yeah. I hope. Sorry. One day a manager. Um, her name is Gala. Oh, yes. Uh, she was born Elena Ivanova Daikonova, a Russian Immigrant. Yeah, I was. was Who was 10 years his senior and was married at the time to a surrealist poet who I've never heard of called Paul Eliade. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, El Uad, but I'm pretty sure it's Eliade. I'm just going to say it wrong. I think it sounds beautiful coming out of those sweet lips. Thank you. Dali's work got really good. Um, he was when he, once he met Gala, he was exploring his sexual anxiety um, and a lot of stuff about his dreams and shit. Uh, he had his first show in Paris, which Andre Breton mm. described as the most hallucinatory that has been produced up to now. Wow! Yeah, and we've talked about Breton before. Yeah. He was in that He's got click. His, the Breton badge of approval. Yeah. Um, the show was a very good commercial success. Um, and then Dali joined, officially joined, the Surrealist Group in Paris. While all of this very exciting shit was happening, his relation with his father was falling to bits Sal Senior did not like Gala. I'm not sure why. I don't know how I would ever know why. No. <laughs> These people have been dead for a long time. Anyway. But I spoke to Sal Senior a couple of times about <laughs> it. Um, he also saw his hanging out with the Surrealists in Paris as a bad moral influence, which sure, maybe, but this is coming from the man who married his dead wife's sister less than a year after her death. So shut up, senior. Whoa. Yeah, he's a dick. Uh, the rift got worse uh, when Sal's father read in a Barcelona newspaper that Salvador had exhibited a drawing of the Sacred Heart with the inscriptions, sometimes I spit for fun on my mother's portrait. Ooh. And look, that's not great, but it's also very clear to me that it was for art's sake, like for shock value. Mm. His dad demanded he make a public apology and recant what he'd said, but Sal was like, no way. It's my art and my cool surrealist friends will kick me out of the club if they think I'm a sissy who listens to his daddy. <laughs> and his dad told him that he was out of the will and that he wasn't welcome in the family home in Cataclys ever again, all oh. very dramatic. That is dramatic. Salvador then got super famous when he painted The Persistence of Memory. Mm, classic, classic. clock one. Um, he had massively critically commercially successful shows in Paris and New York, loving the high life. Uh, they got He married Gala in... 1934, after sinfully living together since 1929. You dirty dogs. <laughs> and on their first trip to New York, which was that year, 
Um, they caused a massive scandal when they went to a, I think it was like a Halloween party or something, dressed as the Lindenberg baby and the kidnapper. Um, and the kidnapping, it was, it was really funny. I, I found a picture. I'll try and find it again and put it up on the oh socials. Oh, my God, I have to see this. <laughs> and the kidnapping had only happened like a year before. So people were still kind of sore about it, like, too soon. But also that was like the beginning of kidnapping, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Fun fact, uh, my parents' house is was owned by the magistrate who was on the very f- the court case for the first kidnapping in New South Wales. And mm. the guy who did that was inspired by the Lindenberg case. Shit. And that's why there's ghosts in my parents' house. Like the Lindenberg baby ghost. No, the other baby ghost. <laughs> <laughs> just the ghost, just many okay. ghosts. The other kid, the New South Wales kids ghost. It's a fascinating story. Okay. Go look it up. I will. Um, I'll just tell you about it. You don't have to, yeah, just but everyone else do it. Sorry. I'll do this. I thought you were talking to me. No. You were talking to out people in the Yeah, the I'm just going to tell you the story later. I probably already have. <clears throat> um, people were calling Dahlia a sellout. Wow. Because of the Lindenberg baby? No, just because he was doing really well. Um, But he couldn't give a shit, like, who would. Uh He's like, got that dough, doing what he wants to do, being his weird self. Mm. Um, He also made some enemies just because they didn't love his strange behaviour and thought that he was an annoying weirdo. Mm -hmm. But he just did not care. Is there any, like, notable enemies? Or just yeah. like generally speaking. Oh, yeah, but I'm going to put that in the bad section. Oh, now. okay, I'll wait for it then. Um, but he was, he was like all about that fame. He was on the cover of Time magazine. He was a superstar. And then World War II hit and he and Gala left Europe, moved to New York City for eight years. Oh, wow. During that time he became even more of a sellout, if that's what you want to call it. Um, he did TV ads. He made stage sets. He did window dressings for like fancy... Bergdahl sure. Goodman or something. Yeah, he did massive weird publicity stunts like walking down the street with a massive like anteater or an aardvark or something like weird. Um, he even did, he designed the Chubba Chups logo. Really? Yes. I think I might have known that but I haven't. It's cool as shit. Yeah. Um, get a Chubba Chup later. I want one. I like strawberries and cream. Do you? I'm a big fan of the cola. Oh, I'm just classic. Classic. Oh no, that oh my god, I just had a recovered memory. I used to Oh that cherry one. I used to get a cherry one all the time. I love cherry. I love cherry. Mm -hmm. I love cherry too. That's what I meant to say. He was probably one of the first major artists who was so closely aligned with like marketing and advertising. Yeah, he's like Andy Warhol before Andy Warhol. Yes. Um, but look, he had to work real hard to afford the lavish lifestyle that he and Gala had become so accustomed to. So they were spending about half a million dollars in today's money per month. Holy fuck balls. Yeah. So he just had to keep doing shit like that. Jesus. And he could. And get that paper. Yeah. Um, he wrote his autobiography. He wrote a novel. Um, he created installations, took incredibly cool, wonderful photographs. 
collaborated with amazing photographers, filmmakers. He was he was insanely talented mm. and he schmoozed with the big guys. He stayed with Coco Chanel. He met his idol Freud. He worked with Walt Disney on an animated film that I am devastated to say was never finished. Mm. Um, but in 2003, Walt's nephew Roy got hold of it and released it as a six-minute short, which I'm yet to watch and I thought maybe we could watch tonight. Yeah, let's do that. Also Fantasia, super surrealist. Yes. There was... He inspired it, but he didn't make Fantasia. But doesn't that just reek of surrealism? Yes, 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 yes. Um, it was probably around the same time, actually. Mm. Uh, in 1948, he and Gala moved into their beautiful holiday house um, in a small town near Cataclysse, which was quite near where he had summered as a child. Um, the next year, his <laughs> sister released a book called Salvador Dali, seen by his sister, which was really nasty about oh, Gala. No. So he cut off her. Why does everyone rest. hate Gala so much? Uh, look, I've read some pretty intense articles about her. Like people are like, she was like Satan. <laughs> and I think she was pretty intense, scary, mean, bitchy, cunty person, but. All right. I respect her. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he cut his family off. But then he got really into Catholicism. What? And his work reflected this. Um, In 68, he bought Gala a castle in Pabol. I don't know how to say that. It's spelled Pabol. Um, And she would stay there for weeks at a time without him and made him promise that he wouldn't visit her there without written permission from her, which made him pretty paranoid and depressed. Wow. In 1980, his health was really bad. Uh, Gala had developed Alzheimer's and she was just, like, giving him huge doses of amphetamines. Oh. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa! She has Alzheimer's, and she's she's doling she's out. She's giving the- him his medication. Ah, she's his this- wife. Oh no, he's hopeless, you know. Um, so he was addicted to them, and the speed created like tremors in his arms, <sighs> which uh, prevented him from creating anything, and also it led to basically he developed Parkinson's. Uh, he was 78, uh, sorry, he was 76. Gala was 86 when she died. Mm. Um, and he drove her corpse home from the hospital, propped up in the back of a Cadillac as if it was alive. No. And then he buried her in a vault at their castle. Wait, he did it all himself? Mm, guess so. Ooh. He didn't get in any trouble, so I guess maybe someone helped. You can't do that. <laughs> I think it's really funny that he... Drove her home propped up. <laughs> That's so hectic. Do you think he could go in the T3 lane or the carpal lane? <laughs> we call it the T3 lane here. You've got to have three passengers to go We've in it. We've got T2s too. Oh, there's T2s as well, two passengers. Um, in 80- what does the T stand for? Transit. Transit. Transit 2. Transit 3. It must be Transit. Yeah, it's a transit lane. No, it's two. It's trollop two. 
tart. It's tomato two, tomato <laughs> three. One tomato, two. <laughs> Just go up to the shop. Look, we're talking about the end of Salvador Dali's <laughs> life here. <laughs> it's serious. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't believe that he propped his wife up. It's fucking dead. brilliant. It's classic Dali behaviour. It is, but it's very upsetting. That's well, He sad. was really fucking upset. Um, and the next year in 1984, he was really sick. He was depressed, refusing to eat, which led to like very serious like undernourishment, oh. malnourishment, you know. Wow. Um, and Neither in August or. that year, um, there was a fire in his bedroom um, and he was hospitalised with severe burns. To- Why was there a fire? Was it? Scented candles? Probably. <laughs> um, in 86, so two years after that, he had a pacemaker installed. Is it installed? The right <laughs> <way>? <laughs> he had it installed along with a two-car garage. <laughs> yeah, he got it installed. Um, and then not long after that, he appeared at his museum. He had a, his own museum, I think, in Cataclysm. Um, And he made a statement and he said, when you are a genius, you do not have the right to die because we are necessary for the progress of humanity. And then a few days later, he fucking died. Sorry. Look, it's funny, but it triggered me really bad because when the last thing I ever said to my dad was that... Uh, me behind his back, me and my brother call him the man who wouldn't die because oh. he was sick all the time. He literally died the next day. He probably died like a few hours later after I said that. It's hectic, sorry. A bit too dark? Well. It's fine. My dad's dead. So is Salvador Dali. If we revert back, I just think that it's funny because he's self-aggrandizing himself as this oh, genius who can't die. So funny. <laughs> and like, he just carks it. And then, yeah, it says something very poetic about it. Yeah. So, Cara, my epic love, what do you love about Salvador Dali? Well, my serious little surrealist dream, babe. Look, a lobster on a telephone. It's genius. Genius. He has a really strong look. Yeah, I love a strong look. I love a strong look. <laughs> I fucking, I love a commitment to a look, like especially a fucking weird one. Yep. Some, yeah, well, you know, I can always appreciate a commitment to a look. Yeah, I, I can too. I might not like it, but I can no. appreciate it. That's why we love to hate Carl Lagerfeld. I mean, we hate him, but yeah. we love that look. Yeah, he committed to it. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy surrealism. It's a bit weird. It's a bit crazy, you know. His yep. artworks are pretty great. I'm into him. Pretty great. They're pretty great. They're fucking amazing, Gara. <laughs> They're pretty great. Like, I think it's really amazing that he's, you know, he studied all those great painters yeah. so that he could do everything so that when he, wanted, when he like, really found his voice Niche. or whatever as a painter, he knew he could do anything he wanted. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that his works are amazing and I have uh, been lucky enough to see many of them in person and that to me has been like such a moment. Like it's, it's been such an incredible moment because, and I mean like we could say this about so many different, well, really all of the art episodes, like when you see these people's work in person, there's something yeah. like euphoric about it because totally. it, it, it's it's like 
I don't know. So nowadays, because of the breadth and the variety of art, some things like I've photographed so well, but there's nothing that compares to actually being yeah. in person no. with these kind of like like these absolute pillars in modernist art. Iconic. Iconic. Bottom line is I do think he's an amazing artist. I also think he does some real good stories, like end of the party, everyone's having a smoke, you're hanging on his every fucking word. Like I'm sure that's just so far from the truth actually, so maybe you can (laughs) shed some light on that. But that's how I feel. Look, I love him too. I love him a lot. When I was writing this, I was like, why why am I doing this for Cara? I'm the one who loves Salvador Dali the most of everybody in the world. No, I don't. I don't. I just really like him. My mum got me into surrealism and we went to, there was like a retrospective, maybe it was in the 90s um, at the Gallery of New South Wales. It was amazing. Mm. They had so many Dali's, Magritte's, you know, all those fucking people. Yeah. Um, And I remember seeing my favourite, which is still my favourite, the metamorphosis of narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing it in person was so weird because I'd looked at that painting like in a book so many times and it was so massive to me. Like, Yeah. And then when I saw it, it was fucking tiny. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how small it was. Anyway, I loved it. It was amazing. It's so bizarre like that with, um, you know, seeing things in the flesh. Yeah. And how much they're not what you... Ain't. I mean, the Mona Lisa is a great example of that, yeah. which everyone knows. It's fucking very small. Yeah. I would like to say that I appreciate an artist who has an artwork called The Great Masturbator. I think mm-hmm. that should go, should go... I'm going to talk about that. I'd like to point that out. Yeah. I, I'm a great masturbator, all right? <laughs> I think everyone is probably very great at masturbating. Look, we all <laughs> consider ourselves to be a great masturbator. <laughs> if you're not... It's time to practice. And I've pitched this idea for a reality television show so many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's get on to some bad stuff because I'm fucking rattling on a lot here. Um, and I want to preface this by saying that there's nothing wrong with Dully's sexuality. That's not why I'm discussing his sexuality in this bad stuff section. There's also nothing wrong with keeping your private life private or not having a label for yourself, it's okay. It's fine. I'm not criticising it, but I... It's very intriguing. I say this because I think it just really explains so much about him to know some of this interesting stuff. Hear me. So when he was a little boy, his ultra-conservative, ultra-scary father emphasised to little Sal, that sex and desire was a sin and a very evil thing to do. So, like any good lapsed Catholic will tell you, he grew up to be a little deviant. Mm. He also had the very twisted view that all sexual acts were denigrating, and you could see this in his paintings, like the great masturbator. So there's this weird, deformed woman giving a blowjob to a man whose knees are bleeding, like her knees are bleeding, is far, like, it's very, there's a grasshopper 
attached to the woman. It's just like there's so much going on in that fucking painting. (laughs) I actually never even noticed in that painting that there's she's giving a blowjob to a man. I never noticed the little penis. Penis? Never never noticed it before. Um, His father in a deeply traumatising way of warning his kid away from sex, also made him look at a book that was basically just photos of the genitals of dead people who had STIs or that were disfigured in some really scary-looking way. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. And he was deeply disturbed by this, as am I. Oh, my goodness. Um, and he once said... That's not okay. And he said this not when he was a child. As an adult man, he said that if he had to make love to a woman, that he would die. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying. I'm sorry, but that kind of reminds me of you because so much of the time <laughs> Amber, like, we'll just be in a supermarket and then something, like, today, <laughs> I think we were looking at pasta sauces and one of them fell down and she pushed it very, it was perfect timing because it didn't break. <laughs> it kind of, like, fell down and she pushed it back onto the shelf and she was like, I almost died. <laughs> so. Look. I said that <laughs> in a way that I guess he might have thought he would die, but maybe he did say it the same way I would. Maybe he was being I funny. I would die. I, that, yeah, I, I would definitely wouldn't say it in that context, but I do love the way that you say it in many contexts, which Thank is not you. fitted it's for. One of my things. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was terrified of female genitalia. Um, and that's probably because the only ones he'd ever seen were sick and dead. Oh, God. Um, he would only masturbate. And despite rumours of him being gay, like, that's fine, but he never had sex with anybody. Like ever? Um, he was definitely a, still a virgin when he met Gala when he was 25. Um, he was scared of sex with anyone his whole life, man or woman. That is so sad. But just because he didn't like to be touched or have sex didn't mean that he didn't like a maz. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually really liked watching other people going at it and having a go on himself. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> having a go on himself. <laughs> Lucky for him, Gala was very, an openly very sexual person and she was super into boning other dudes while he watched. Perfect couple. Cuckold. Loves it. Um, they went through a phase when they were very, very rich where they would have weekly orgies at their house. Cool. Which is so weird for a man who doesn't like to have sex. Yeah. But anyway. One time our Lord and Saviour Cher attended one of these orgies and she, All I can think of is suspicious mind. Sorry. <laughs> she said of this fancy sex party that she picked up a, quote, beautiful painted rubber fish, just fabulous. It had this little remote control handset and I'm playing with it and the tail's going back and forth and I'm thinking, it's a child's toy. So I said to Salvador, this is really funny. And he said, it's wonderful when you place it on your clitoris. So that's fun. 
Wow. She didn't know she was at an OG. Oh. I probably should have said that before. But anyway. You who surprise, OG. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, put it on your clitoris. Now, all that masturbation and self-proclaimed impotence aside, it was claimed on multiple occasions that he had had many, many sexual affairs. There was even a paternity claim made by one Maria Pilla Abel Martinez, who, apart from being a clairvoyant, mm. claimed to be, quote, Dali without a moustache. She looks nothing like him, okay. in my opinion. Uh, Maria said that her mother had had a fling with Dali in 1955 and that he was her father. I just feel like choosing a man who told everyone he was impotent as being your father is kind of dumb. But, a ju- but did her mum say that? I guess, yeah. But a judge deemed it realistic enough that in July 2017, his body was exhumed Whoa. in order for DNA samples to I be taken. I did not know that. Wild. And then two months later, it seems like a long time, but anyway, two months later the results came back and he was not her fucking father. In, so Maury Povic. Uh, in May 2020, the Spanish court dismissed the case, ordered Maria to pay for the cost of the exhumation. What a bloody nutter. That mustn't come cheap, hey? No. Exhuming a body. Because it must be, you must need very, like, skilled people to do it, I'd imagine. It's hectic. Um, Sal had been given a nickname Go by on. his ex-friend, at the t- like by the time he called him this, Andre Breton. Oh. He called him Avida Dollas, which basically means eager for the dollars. And Sal sure did love getting that coin. In the 70s, he stipulated that he was to be paid $100,000 an hour to start in June. Oh, David Lynch. But it was before David Lynch had it. Okay, yeah. So the guy had it. Yeah. Um, the project fell apart. Be- Mostly, probably. Because of Dali? Maybe. That's a lot of fucking money. How much? In the 70s, $100,000 an hour. An hour. He was going to play like the great. An hour, wow. And because when you think like television or movies, like we've done some stuff, but I've definitely done something recently where it was like involved with television and it was just like. The magic of television is a farce and it is, I couldn't go to the bathroom. I thought I was going to piss myself because I couldn't leave the sound stage. Like it, everything takes so much time, $100,000 an hour. Like even in the 90s, like the Friends cast were getting paid like a million dollars an episode or yeah. something. And an episode is minimum It's not an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, look, it's crazy. Um, in the 80s when he was really sick and almost dead, Gala got him signing blank sheets of paper and would sell them <laughs> to people so they could do forgeries oh of his God. paintings. Oh. Because he couldn't paint anymore. Oh, God. Fucking weirdly evil and so sad sort of. Yeah. Like, he just didn't give a shit, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Um, he also did this really nifty trick where, and he did this his whole life since he got famous anyway, where 
he would go out to restaurants um, all the time, but he would also go with like groups of friends, be like, this is on me. Then he would do a little drawing on the back of the check, knowing that the restaurant would never cash an original Dali. Oh my God. This <laughs> <It> is evil. <laughs> Is it evil? I quite it's like genius, that. I but think that's quite funny. But he would did it like because he knew he could. The money would never come out. So he's paying with a check in a restaurant. Yeah. Oh, the times, the times. Um, a lot of other artists have also called him a sellout. But honestly, fuck that shit. What's wrong with artists earning money? And Dali was never just a painter or a photographer. He was a goddamn force of nature celebrity. Or. Was he just an insane narcissist? Both. Um, he was always comparing himself to saints and shit. He was like pretty psychopathic in my opinion. Yeah. He felt it was okay to treat people badly. He used people with high status and after he got what he wanted, he was out. He was like hmm. the early centuries to Kanye West, but obviously incredibly talented. <laughs> oh, oh, burn. Sick burn. That was a sick burn. I like Amber. Kanye. I like him. That was mean. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, Sorry, Kanye. All right. Now I'm going to get into some actual bad stuff. Oh. Uh, I just wanted to get all that out of the way so you could get like a context to his personality and, you know, how... He's a bit over the top in case you didn't know that already. Yeah. Um, first up on the shitty things list is cruelty to animals. Mm. Uh, Dali collaborated with an American photographer called Felipe Hausman, who, interestingly, was convicted of the murder of his father in Austria in 1928. But it turned out, with a little help from some heavyweight friends, including Albert Einstein and Sigmund Freud, that the whole thing was a big anti-Semitic setup and he was eventually pardoned. Long story, but I just had to put it in there. Houseman and Dali created this fucking iconic photograph together called Dali Atomicus. It took 28 attempts to get it right, which usually would be absolutely fine to get it right, you know, except for the fact that in this instance... Each of the 28 attempts meant chucking three cats in the air and flinging a bucket of water at them. No! So not so great at all. Love you, Schnickelfritz. Poor Schnick. I'm pretty confident in saying those cats would have been under extreme duress. Dali also had a pet ocelot and, as we all know from 2020s, the Tiger King it's not fucking cool to keep wild fucking animals. Um, its name was Babu and he took it to dinner. He took it on trips on ocean liners. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Whatever, it was a different time maybe? No, the cat thing is really fucked. The cat thing's really fucked but also, I mean, like, you're but right. But that picture is amazing. You are right, though. It was a different time. Like, thinking about, I mean, this not necessarily the same time, but they used to sell, like, the most exotic animals and everyone knows this in, like, mm. department stores, like Harrods. I didn't know that. Yeah, that you lion. Buy a lion. Yeah. That lion that meets, like, re, like, so basically this guy bought a lion, takes it home, fall in love, have a great time. He's like, this is crazy. Lion's got to go. And then they meet back up, like, many, many years I've later. i that video. Yeah. That was from Harrod's set line. Whoa. Fuck it up. I know. Okay. 
Uh, Dali was also quite violent from a young age. In his autobiography, he talks about how when he was five years old, he pushed another kid off a suspension bridge and then afterwards sat there watching the kid wriggling in pain. He's just eating cherries, watching. Oh, my God, that's so sadistic. Psychopath, sadistic psychopath. Oh, horrible. It's terrifying. So, wait, off the, off the suspension bridge into water? I don't know. Oh, God. Fucked up. The next year when he was six, he kicked his sister in the head. In his words, as though it had been a ball. Ah! Like really fucking hard. And his violent tendencies towards women increased uh, with what I think was his revulsion of scary vaginas. Uh, when he was a teenager, he should be fucking scared. He teased a girl for five years who was in love with him. Like she was madly in love with him, which is weird. Five years anyway. And he'd kiss her and touch her and then he'd say horrible things to her, like really torturously. That's horrible. Yeah. it's. I mean, it sounds like it's weird to say like he would only kiss her and touch her and nothing more, but that's not what I mean. Like I mean like. But the whole psychological warfare yes, of that yes. on a person who you know that you're. Yeah. He like resented her and it's like really fucked up. Ew. Um, Should we take a side note and say what was the worst thing that your sibling ever did to you? You're the eldest, so maybe there's nothing that beautiful DJ Morgs did to mm, you. He would hit and kick really hard, but I never did to him because he was little. Did you have any like a real standout moment? Mm, no, nah, but we were pretty like... We'd fully go at it. Even yeah. just for fun, we would hurt each other quite Same badly. with Rochelle yeah. and I. We kind of miss those days of just punching people in the face and yeah. pushing people off the bed really hard. One time I tried to feed our cat with a fork and Michelle said, you want to know how it feels? And then she grabbed my forearm, turned it around, and then she stabbed me right in the vein with a compass needle. Whoa! And then the blood went pew in the air. And then I think she was like, oh, shit. I'm going to really get in trouble for this. And I just remember, I just remember mum like holding my arm and it was just like hectic because it was in a vein. Michelle, you fucking bitch. I just wanted to feed the cat <laughs> with a fork like a human. All right, let's get back to Dali being aggressive and psychotic. Please. Um, as an older person. Mm. When he was 29, he, quote, trampled a girl who made some comments to him about how he had beautiful feet. And this is his words, oh, oh quote, so true that I found her insistence on this matter stupid. His companions, uh, I mean, he says something else, but I can't remember. I chopped this up. Um, until his companions had to tear her bleeding from his clutches. He trampled her? Because she said he has beautiful feet. Just trample trampling someone as one individual seems like a mean feat on its own. Do you Just know what I mean? Such an intense word to yeah. use, like bleh. Um, and Gala wasn't spared from his abuse either. Um, one time, in a jealous rage, he hit Gala so hard that he broke two of her ribs. 
Mm. Just really fucked up. And what's also scary is that these are just the ones we know about because he told us Whoa. in his book. So I don't know about other assaults that he didn't want to include in his fucking autobiography. That's a fucking nuts. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and don't worry. It gets even worse. Go on. Uh, while most of his contemporaries were pretty much lefties, Dali was always quite ambiguous about his opinion of politics, mm-hmm. uh, especially within art. Um, he was insistent that surrealism could exist apolitically. You know, most, you know, Dada's super, like, socialist. Yeah, you know. of course. That was the whole crux of the yeah. movement. Um, Andre Breton did not buy it. And he was like, Andre smells like, a rat. You're a Nazi sympathizer. Ooh. And then Dali said, quote, I am Hitlerian, neither in fact nor intention. Meaning, no, I'm not. But he refused to, they said, okay, we'll denounce fascism. And he refused. And based on this, hmm. in 1934, the like surrealist gang put Dali on trial. Whoa. So obviously not like a real trial. But Kangaroo like court. Pretty serious like trial that's not serious but yeah. is serious Yeah, if you're a surrealist. Absolutely. Um, he somehow avoided being kicked out of the group. So I, I'm not sure what happened. I tried to find more about this because it's mentioned in a million places but then there's nothing about the trial. And then he later said, of this group, the difference between the surrealists and me is that I'm a surrealist. Ooh. Then in 1939, after Franco's victory in the Spanish Civil War, Salvador wrote a letter to his old mate from university um, named Louis Brunel, who was a Spanish-born filmmaker um, and who at some point had planned to shoot Dali with a gun mm. over what he'd written <laughs> about him in his autobiography. Which oh. is, so he's like bitchy little bitch. And their friendship had ended for good when Sal denounced socialism and praised Catholicism and the fascist Spanish political party Falange. That's what it was called. Um, Not Farage, because he's also a. No, very similar vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In May that year, Andre Breton was very excited to announce that Dali had been expelled from the group uh, in his magazine called Minotaur. Oh, that's funny you say that. Terrifying flashbacks to that Man Ray episode. Maybe everybody was involved in the murder of the Black Dahlia. I say Minotaur. Okay, that is how you're supposed to say it. Oh, I was just checking. I wasn't. No, I was just making sure because I am going to say that soon. You're right. (laughs) And I'm dumb. You are incredibly intelligent (laughs) and outrageously beautiful and brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Anyway. Dali actually moved back to Spain to live. Um, Most of the Surrealist gang had cut him out. Um, He'd pissed off a lot of his other artist friends by supporting a fascist regime. He didn't have any friends. Even our mate Pablo Picasso refused to ever mention Dali's name again, nor even acknowledge his existence for the rest of his life. 
She did that with a few people. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> even in the 60s, Andrea Breton unsuccessfully tried to stop Dali's work from being shown in a surrealist retrospective in New York. Um, and it wasn't just Andre who was petitioning. Other surrealists were pissed off too. Um, and they put out a pamphlet, ooh, a pamphlet, <laughs> at the same time the exhibition was on denouncing Dali as the, quote, ex-apologist of Hitler and friend of Franco. Ooh. Which is true. Uh, he was. Uh, in a Dali biography by Eric Shane, uh, Shane suggests that the whole Hitler thing was way more of a way to just piss off Andre Breton than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like he was just a bratty troublemaker who thought the whole thing was hilarious, which I guess I can totally get, but, you know, it's 2021 and it's still uncool to make jokes about World War II. Yeah. So I guess at the time it was defo, defo too soon. Yeah. Uh, he did a bunch of paintings which had Hitler in them, like The Enigma of Hitler and the classic... Hitler masturbating. <laughs> wow. Uh, he also said that uh, he, quote, often dreamed of Hitler as a woman and that Hitler as a male or a female turned him on. No, okay. baby, Calm no. Down, baby. no. <laughs> it's that little tickly mm-hmm. moustache. But look, regardless <laughs> of whether the Hitler stuff was just a big hilarious joke, he did love Franco. He called him the greatest hero of Spain. And Franco really liked concentration camps and was responsible for the deaths of somewhere around 300,000 people. Mm-hmm. But Dali didn't care. He painted a picture of Franco's daughter on a horse. Jesus. And that is the end <laughs> of my story. <laughs> he painted a picture of Franco's daughter on a horse. <laughs> That's what he thinks about that. Um, yeah, so did you know any of that? Do you care? Yeah, I care. I mean, I I knew he was a fascist, but I didn't know the details about it. Also, I think it's really interesting because when you were saying about the people, like the backlash being like, no, we don't want him to be in this exhibition and no, we don't want him to be on display, it's super interesting to me because at that moment when you said that, I was just like, yeah, but he's like a, he's really important. He's really important and realism. popular. Like he's kind of like the crux of like everyone's so, coming to see him, not yeah. fucking Andre Breton, who isn't a painter, of course. No. Um, look, I knew he was going to be a cock. I love him still. I don't care. It's hard. I mean, I'm the next one's a massive cock too. I don't want him to. I I don't think it's great that he like loves Franco. No, but I just I guess I just don't really think of him as a real person. <laughs> Exactly, that's true. Because <laughs> he's so intense and ridiculous. He's like this weird caricature. Like he is. He's surrealism. He's right. Yeah. It's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. But you know what's even trickier? What? I really, I, the amount I need to wait right okay. now. So we're going to have a break <laughs> and then we're going to talk about another person, another another one of the greats of the 20th century. I'm very excited. Here's one of my favourites. Until now. Yeah, right. We'll see. You know I don't give a shit about anything. I'm sorry. Well, hello, we're back. We're back. Well, Emma. Yeah? 
Some people try to pick up girls and get called assholes. This never happened to Pablo Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. Oh, he really was an asshole. It no. seems. So we're obviously we're doing our art episode. So I'm obviously going to be chatting about the dominant father of Cubism, and one maybe aside from Salvador Dali. Of the most significant artists of the 20th century. Everyone loved him. Mr. Pablo Ruiz Picasso. Ruiz? Ruiz. Oh. But he actually, like our foul face friend Diego Rivera, had 18 or 20 names depending on who you ask. Fun. I'm including like all the deaths and the las. Oh, yeah. But one of those names is in fact Diego, so somewhere. Mm. And another fun fact, both Picasso and Diego had the name Maria shoved in there somewhere <laughs> as well. That's a girl's name. It's a girl's name. Uh, so Picasso was born just four days before you. <gasps> in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> On a October 25th, but oh. no, he was a fair few years before you. That's true. <laughs> he was born in 1881. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a fair bit. It's quite, quite a long Not way. much, but... Um, he'd be like, um, 139 <laughs> But he's dead. Oh. Spoiler alert. Well, you should be happy since you hate him so much. Just wait, maybe you will too. So he grew up in southern Spain in Malaga. Beautiful. So did Antonio Banderas. Uh, Pablo came from pretty good stock. His father was an artist and a professor. There's quite a few similarities I, I heard yeah. in your bit. He had two little sisters. One was called Lola and the other one Conchita. Adorable names. And his mother's name was Maria, but that's all we know about her because <gasps> the patriarchy. Yeah, who cares about women? So some say baby Pablo could art it up before he even spoke. He was an early starter, and his first word was pencil. Oh, that's significant. Yeah, but it was in Spanish, of course, because it would be really oh. fucking weird if he just abruptly <laughs> said pencil. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't mean pencil because no. it was just like what? They wouldn't know. Uh, he started amping things up when he was like seven, and he began study, studying art in a like a more formal way. And at one point, his father was like, "Shit, the student has become the master." <laughs> And then he was like, I vow never to paint again, which is so really? hectic. Yeah. Whoa, what a psycho. Such a hectic reaction. I imagine if my, if like when I started doing my own taxes, my dad was like, <laughs> I will never, ever look at a PAYG slip again. Taxation be damned. <laughs> okay. Um, I like it. Uh, then there was a very traumatising event in Pablo's life, which was another similarity. Uh, his sister Conchita died from diphtheria. Horrible. Ooh, I don't really know what that is, but it sounds it's horrible. like it's about your butt. It's about a lot of things, but it's horrid. Okay. It's a bad way to go. That was in 1895, so Pablo was like 14. Oh. Then his family packed up and they moved to Barcelona. Love it there. Me too. Uh when he was like 13, he took like this entrance exam, 13, uh, for an advanced course and started studying at the School of Fine Arts, which was pretty fucking remarkable. So it was like a university. Yeah. When he was, he's like a little doogie houser of the art. He is. And he soon moved to Madrid and studied at a different university, 
but he wasn't very disciplined, probably because he was fucking 13 years old. Yeah. I wonder if it was the same one that Sal went to. (laughs) Possibly. Mm. So Pablo continues to paint. He's getting some praise. In 1900, he travels to the city of lights and love. It's Paris. Uh, he's really fucking poor. And I read that at times he and his flatmate would have to just burn his paintings to heat the freezing hovel they were oh, living in. Can you imagine? Shit. <laughs> They're worth millions of dollars. And around this time he started just using like Picasso, like as his last name, it's just like public Picasso. No ruins. He's still dropping all of his other like He's like, I'm not Maria. His other 18 Diego. names. Yeah. So Shall we get into Pablo's periods? Yeah, I'd love to hear about menstruation. (laughs) Sorry, terrible joke, cut it out. Well, there's more jokes to come because he often found himself bloated with a short fuse for bullshit, which was exacerbated by severe cramping and discomfort. I'm just kidding, I fucking wish Pablo had to experience (laughs) that monthly. Uh, I'm talking about his different artistic mm. periods. It was serious. No, his blue period took place between 1901 and 1904. It was pretty mm-hmm. depresso espresso. Love and it. And funnily enough, blue was um, quite prominent. Yeah, you got to use blue if you're in the blue period. Totally. Uh, there was a lot of very malnourished people featured in Pablo's work at this time. You'll know, and I know we spoke about it earlier, the 1903 work, The Old Guitarist. Love that fucking painting. He does not look like a well man, though. He's sick as shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of Pablo's mates had died by suicide. Oh. This horrific event heavily influenced his work around this time and the tone of his works. I'm blue, down, 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 Sorry. We then... Move on to the rose period. Yeah, that's nice. Huh? Paint me like your French girls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about rose from Titanic. Anyway, uh, um, yeah, yeah. this was a bit more positive. Like he started really getting into like jesters and acrobats and shit, like circus people. I don't really like that. No, no, no small hands. And you can really <laughs> see <No>. like <laughs> the inspiration. I think in this period, like it looks like he's very heavily inspired by Toulouse Latrique. Latrique? I don't know that person. You do. Oh, yes, I do, I do, I do. It's like a faux character yeah, in yeah, Moulin Rouge. Yeah, 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 He's yeah, been yeah, yeah, popified. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Absolutely. He started a relationship with an artist and model named Fernanda or Fernand Olivia. I'm sure that influenced his little, like, sad sack pieces, you know. He's just, like, feeling a little bit more, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm getting some and she's wonderful. Mm, she's a model mm, and an yeah. artist. Yeah. Uh, so around this time, the Steins showed up, and I'm not talking about the delightful Rick Stein and his delicious food. <laughs> I'm talking about Gertrude. <laughs> yeah, she, bitch. She uh, became Pablo's principal patron and began to have lots of chats with her art philanthropic pals about mm-hmm. the importance of his work. Yeah, good. It's pretty important. It is important. I can pay that. I love it. Pablo also met his lifelong frenemy, Henry Matisse. Oh, I love Matisse. Yes, he's good around this time. So that was, you know, that happened. Next, we have his heavily African influence period. We're talking free will and proto cubism. Yeah, nice. This was 1907 to 1909, and this is when he painted the infamous Le Demoiselle d'Avignon. Mm. And the this lady work, from Avignon. 
Boom. I've been to Avignon. I have not. It's really cute. Good? Real cute. Nice cheese. Yeah. Wine? Yeah, good wine. Yeah. It's like a walled city. It's really cute. Fucking love a walled city. We don't have that shit here. Yeah. I mean, although we don't let anyone in, obviously. (laughs) Um, But it ain't walled. No. Me and my friend met a French man who was from Avignon. Mm -hmm. And he just sat with us and talked to us for maybe like two hours and... He spoke no English, we spoke no French, and we just like weirdly tried to communicate for two hours. We're I remember. Like, what is this fucking guy doing here? <laughs> I remember this story. I really love it. Le bus. <laughs> he would finally understood what we meant when we said we came by bus. It was like the biggest thing that had happened in the whole two hours. He went, oh, le bus. Anyway, shut up, Amber. No, I love it. Don't shut up. So this work wasn't shown until 1916, nine years after its creation, because even his mates fucking hated it. Really? Yeah, everyone hated it. Toot toot, do you hear that, Amber? Yeah. That's the analytical cubism train pulling up mm. to the stage. A bit more fun. So this is the period most people would associate with Pablo. Mm-hmm. He wasn't alone in this movement's conception. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I didn't know that. This little art movement baby was birthed by both Pablo and Georges Braque. You knew that. Mm-hmm. Now, this initial phase of Cubism ran from 1909 to 1912 and it favoured a beige monochrome palette, much like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> And they, like, broke the subject of the, their paintings where the, like, people are object into shapes. Yeah. Next we have synthetics cubism, which was 1912 to 1919. And you know what happened during this period, Amber? What? They invented fucking collage. They invented it? Yeah, not so. I fucking love collage. It's the best. Oh. I know. It's impressive. I mean, we ba- I make collages for our Instagram. I know you. You can follow us. The digital collage. At, sorry, he sucks pod. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. us. It's very nice. I try really hard. I'd be really appreciate it if I could get some likes or whatever, love hearts. Whatever. She does a really good job, so if you could just do that, that would be really <laughs> nice. Not hard. Stop being assholes. What is your thumb lit fatigued? Fucking just do Follow it. us on Instagram. Like do every it. single fucking post we God. do. So anyway, this movement, their home base was... Um, Montpanet and Le Marais. Good job. Then uh, Pablo started making costumes and sets for Belarus and he also started up a little relationship with a ballerina called Olga Kaklova. Cute. And then got married. Oh. And Olga introduced him to a fancier side of life and some, like, well-to-do folks and around this time he started a professional and personal relationship with the art dealer Paul Rosenberg. Was he selling a lot of stuff already? Yeah, I think he was getting some traction by now. Yeah. Um, Next, the birth of Pablo's first child. His name was Paolo. Uh, Pablo had, well, he impregnated women and had four children in total. Oh. So Maya was the next one. Uh, she had a different mother, Marie, and then there was Paloma and Claude, and their mother name, their mother's name was. Um, Francois Gillot. Look, shall we get into the neoclassicism and the surrealism? Give it to me. I can feel you're ready. So this took place between 1919 and 1929, and this is a bit of a callback to the old masters, which I'm into. Mm-hmm. Then he became fucking obsessed with the Minotaur. 
which is just yeah, it's just fucking here it comes again. So fucking telling. The Minotaur Minotaur. <laughs> it's so annoying. Uh, next comes the big one. In 1937, he completes his magnum opus. Yeah. Guernica. Oh yeah. Have you seen it? No. I thought you had for some reason. I've always wanted to see it. Like I, I really, it's the kind of colossal work that I think you have to experience in person. Yeah, right. So it's massive. It's huge. And I really want to go. So I really she, like the colours of it and like, well, how it has no colour. Yeah, the, the monochromaticness. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like this huge, giant work and I think it, it is something that you must beautiful kind of like witness in person, personally. So then World War II happened, Pablo stayed in Nazi-occupied Paris and he had a bit of a shit time and the Nazis did not take kindly to Pablo. Why? He just didn't like him. And they saw Gernica and they were like, did you do this? And he said, no, you did. <gasps> I just remember that, but yeah. He was like, no, you Oh, did. yeah, because it's about war. It's about it the horrors of war. It is about the horrors of war. It's um, specifically about the bombing of Guernica during the Spanish Civil War. But yeah. Um, if we're going to be fair, though, the Nazis didn't really take kindly to the vast majority of people. So <laughs> he wasn't alone. Um, he wrote some poetry, he had some really big sculptures. He started making works inspired by even like older dead white guys, and then he died. Yeah, right. He suffered heart failure at a dinner party at one of his many, many estates in France. Oh. It was like the Madonna or even the Lady Gaga yeah. of the art world, like just constantly changing and evolving and I think voguing. It's, I think it's really amazing, actually. And I think his work is good in all of those forms. Totally. I think, no, 100%. And people, I felt like when, and this is like a much that, more. You can't say that about everybody. No, 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 no. But I think this is a really rudimentary thing and I feel like it happened in like high school even maybe early uni or whatever, but when people would just, like, judge Pablo Picasso on that, like, neo-cubism stage yep. or something, like, and it was like, actually, no, he was an incredibly skilled, like, super realism kind yeah. of painter, but people just don't pay that. He can do anything. He can. Just like Salvador, that's why. Yep. Uh, in the net, which was a... You have to learn the rules before you can break them. Oh. That's just a thing that people would always say about art at my uni. No one ever said that at my uni. Well, maybe you should have gone to Wollongong University. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that in, is every, I'm sure everyone has seen Hannah Gatsby's Nanette. If you haven't, Great. you're an idiot. Go and watch Go it. Go do that now. It's on Netflix. Have but cry. She expresses us. how much she hates Pablo and she calls him a tormented man ballsack. And this is definitely an insult that I think we should consider including in the season four trailer. <laughs> <laughs> she also says, Picasso suffered the mental illness of misogyny. <laughs> so Accurate. Good. So good. Hey, 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 hey. hey whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. you're getting a bit nasty. Yeah, let's not get negative just yet. Amber, Amber, tell the people what they want, please. I obviously, I've already sort of said he was so good at everything he did. Mm. I also really like how every portrait of him, he's wearing stripes and he really like pulls it off. Mm -hmm. It's very Frenchy, so mm -hmm. chic. 
I love a stripe. Mm. I could talk about stripes for five minutes, but I'm not going to. Look, I just really admire a man who, first of all, can do anything. And as I was saying with that silly thing that I got told at university, because I think when you're... I think there's a lot of truth to that. Well, when you're a young artist, when you're starting, you just want to be a rule breaker. You want to fucking fuck the system and Mm -hmm. you want to do something different instantly. And I know I'm... As a writer, I was like that. I was just like, no, nah, I'm just going to write this in this weird tense about some weird thing. And it was my my professors were like, no, you need to learn how to do it. This, like, all the ways. You need to read everything before you fucking start writing. Like, you, ha- And I feel like that's sort of similar with an artist. You need to know how to paint an orange in a vase yeah. Or a nude or you need to understand impressionism. You need to know all of those things before you can find your fucking style yeah. and break the rules. And he was really fucking good at creating new things. Definitely. Like when you look at those, that Cuba stuff, it's that Cuba stuff. <laughs> You're like that cubist, but you know, you think about it, you're just like, oh, that was just like weirdly deformed face. But it's not. It's not. It's amazing the way that they that he was able to see the world differently and change that eye of his over and over again. Absolutely. Sorry, blah blah. Sound like wanker. No. On every art episode, but I really love art. I know. Do you know that Amber, whenever she goes to an exhibition, maybe like <laughs> four out of five times she cries and that <laughs> makes my heart like well. And I I have become jaded by art by this point and it yeah. just makes me so happy that she goes to these exhibitions and is so impacted by them. And also I get it. Sometimes I have that, just not as much as I used to. My mom used to make me like stand in front of a painting until I, I felt her. something. I love you, Lee. <laughs> she loves art and she gave me a great, what's the word? Education. Yeah. That she wasn't, she didn't go to art school. No one fucking told no. her about anything. But she just learned to like let a painting talk to you. But it's so important and it's yeah. so fascinating how these things can Change your perspective or yeah. make you see things in a different way just yeah. by seeing this sculpture or this painting or this, you know, installation. Any yeah. of these things can make you kind of step back and reconsider what maybe you already had in your mind because often, I mean, especially now I feel like more and more there's, especially with contemporary art, there's a lot you can draw from, from yeah. to kind of create something in response to yeah. The world's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. So it's fucking easy to get some <laughs> fucking material. Okay, anyway, we won't go on from that. Shall I try and uh, rip into shreds or? Uh, All right. I can't. But um, I liked well, that conversation we just had, though. Me too. Because yeah. I think it is really amazing. Well, you can walk around an art gallery and just like look quickly at paintings and go, that's nice. That's pretty. I like that face because it's well done or something, and you can take nothing in, which I think a lot of people who say they don't like art or don't like going to galleries, that's what they do because they don't give 
it the maybe time. the time and the respect to like there of course when you look at certain art contemporary art can be really confronting and difficult and inaccessible but also a lot of people look at a piece of art and go and think about how it was made right yeah. and that's certainly interesting and part of it but that's not it that's not no. the only thing and i don't i mean obviously i will look at paintings and go fuck that's fucking amazing or like chuck close and just be like he is fucking incredible the way that he has done this like it's he and many assistants sorry sure but like <laughs> it's a beautiful amazing obviously the no process i totally agree i so did printmaking at university so looking at that kind of stuff when you've got actually like 33 layers of yeah. fucking i was just like how? Yeah. How? Yeah, absolutely. But if you stand in front of something and don't think about that stuff and just let, honestly, just emotion wash over you, yeah. you find things in there. It doesn't, you know, read, sure, afterwards read the little card and it'll tell you something and maybe. But it's, it's just so much more satisfying to just feel a painting. And it's so incredibly unique to that. Yes. I know you can go and see a film or, you know, a theatre production, but Listen I feel like there's something music or whatever, so but. unique about going to a gallery or going to a museum and going and see those artworks and having that kind of that impact on yeah. you. And not everything will have that, but there are yeah. certain things that, like there are certain things that I remember from so long ago, like, or things that just like smash me in the face or things that I bought yeah. a catalogue from like 10 years yeah. ago and I was like, Poor as fuck, but I was like, I need to I buy that catalogue yeah. because this is amazing. Yeah. Aww. Sorry, babe. Sorry to everyone for having to listen to us. I'm not sorry part. for you because we're going to start talking about public Picasso. <laughs> so we'll start with the basics, okay? All right. Pablo was a fucking mega misogynist. He's basically got a neon sign in the shape of an arrow pointing at him that says, abuse of power, vacancies available. Oh. It's hovering over his head at all times. The power imbalance of the, like, the artist muse scenario mm. is like palpable. So let's talk about his muses for a bit. He used and abused his quote-unquote muses and then he took them out on a Monday night, left them in the gutter like a bag of garbage. No. My garbage night is a Monday night. My garbage night is Thursday night. Every Monday I always, I come back home and I yell, it's midnight. <laughs> no one finds it funny. Oh. But I get like really intense about it. I'm like, oh my God. Because you're excited or scared, stressed. Ah. All of the above. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, invoke reaction. But so one of his many muses was Fernand Olivier, who I mentioned. They met in 1904. They were together until 1912. But one of the real Woody Allen kickers here is that in 1907, Fernand adopted a daughter. Her name was Raymond and she was 13. Pablo, inspired it seems, began to paint and sketch the child when she was naked. Fernand discovered these pieces and instead of protecting the young girl, she took her back to the orphanage, which was like purchasing a piece of clothing without trying it on and wanting a refund. That's gross. It's fucked up. It's fucking horrid. His penchant, Pablo's penchant for young girls, uh, pops up quite frequently. Wait, wait. 
So Fernan and Pablo's relationship ended because he eventually lost interest. Fernan was one of... Just some really beautiful portraits of her. The child? No. (laughs) Fernan. That's not beautiful. I like it. It's like etchy. Sorry. She was one of the models, though, for Le Demoiselle d'Avignon. Yeah, right. So that should be known. Um, I mentioned Olga Koklova earlier as well. So they had their son and also a very fiery relationship. (laughs) So she discovered he was cheating on her and filed for divorce, but he never, ever accepted it because he didn't want to give her any fucking money. So they just stayed married. He's a cheap fucking bastard. What a prick. So he just, yeah, in essence, he forced her to remain married to him until 1955 uh, when she died of cancer. Fucking hell. I wonder if that happens a lot. Maybe. Then why would women, men kill their wives so that they wouldn't? I also think that, like, thinking about, like, a judicial system then versus True, true. In another country. Yeah. So let me tell you something for nothing. I'm going to tell you right now, Pablo was a serial cheater. It was constant. While he's out fucking about, he funnily enough is terribly controlling and also quite a jealous guy. Green was definitely Ew. not Pablo's colour. You're not allowed to be I know, it's jealous if you're weird a shady bullshit. Prick. Another woman in Pablo's life was Marie Therese Walter. So apparently she was leaving like a cafe or a bar or something like that and uh, Pablo grabbed her arm and was all like, I'm Picasso, you and I are going to do great things together. That's a quote. Pull the other one, Pablo. <laughs> he says that to all the girls. Also, Marie was 17 and uh, Pablo was 45. They had a baby together, little Maria, which must have got confusing, but they she was known as Maya. Marie kept wishing and hoping and thinking and praying that Pablo would leave his uh, previous long-suffering wife for her and his new baby, but alas, the twist we all saw coming, he did not. Okay. Tragically, Marie eventually dies by suicide. Whoa. Very upsetting. Yep. That's fucking terrible. Now we have Dora Ma, an accomplished artist in her own right. She was a photographer. And now she was having a little fun with Pablo at the same time as he was with Olga and Marie. So Whoa. he's triple timing relationships at this point. Okay. Pablo loved to create conflict as well between like his lovers. I think Ugh. he got a bit of a stiffy from women like fighting over him. Ew. Yeah. He had such a low self-esteem and no ego. You see, you know, he really needed that boost. He just needed that encouragement. But also, he also encouraged women fighting over him by all accounts. So Dora and Marie had a pretty infamous battle which came to blows. It's very saddening that they didn't both come to the collective realisation that their main squeeze was actually a complete twat. Who did you fight with? Dora and Marie, so oh, the previous one. No. Like he's having, he's got three women on yeah, the go. Yeah, yeah. Still guess, married. And to Olga's Olga. like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Thanks, yeah, bye. Yeah. So why would she fight with her? He also beat Dora until she was unconscious. 
But he was a real fan of beating women in general. No, yuck. No, I'm scared. Next we have Francois Gillot. Uh Again, a wonderful painter. Maybe, maybe now is the time to interject and tell everyone that Pablo cock-blocked the shit out of women's careers. He squashed them right on down. Back to Francois, as that was uh, more of an overarching statement. But they got together when she was 21 and he was 61. Ew! There's more to come. Uh, They had Claude and Paloma together. And uh, from not really researching. Very good names, sorry. They're great names. But I didn't really research the children in in, much depth. But Paloma is definitely the one that I am most aware of because... uh, I remember when I first went to New York, I went to Tiffany. Breakfast at Tiffany's yeah. Little Fantasy. I believe I've discussed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had the Paloma Picasso like range there when cool. I went. Yeah, so she's she's the one that I knew. Anyway, Pablo told Francois Francois, sorry, to divorce her husband so they could get married. So then she goes, she does. She divorces her husband, but Pablo actually is already married Mm -hmm. his second and final wife behind Francois' back like a shitty little slithering snake. So this is after Olga had died. Fuck. Yeah, Francois, like, so, yeah, he'd already, he got married. He told her to divorce and then he just, why? Why would you do that? Why? prick. Yeah, probably because he is. Oh, shit. Is that a control thing? Francois wrote this, like, super famous memoir called Life with Picasso and Pablo mm. tried to, like, all lawyer up. And There's a movie with Ed Harris, I think. <laughs> Is there? Or am I thinking of? Oh, no, no. Is it Anthony Hopkins? It's Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I, thinking Ed of Jackson Pollock. <laughs> which, which we've also just done. <laughs> He's, like, a bit of a Pollock but less, like, insanely scary. Yeah. He's just like a prick scary. Super prick. So we got this lawyer and he's trying to get like Francois to stop writing things about him that <laughs> made him look bad but were actually the cold hard fucking truth. Yeah. Um, but he failed. And sadly for him, he chose never to speak to Claude or Paloma again because why not just take it out on your children? Yeah, they deserve it. Absolutely. <laughs> they should never have been born. What a fucking asshole. I know. Pure cunt. In her book, she said Pablo had an unshakable narcissism, which is just so fucking on the money. Yeah. Really. The book was a great success and all of the money that Francois made from the book went to her beloved children. Oh, that's beautiful. Mainly to aid them in receiving any of their inheritance because (gasps) that's right, kids, Pablo didn't have a will. And Paloma and Claude didn't have much of a legal leg to stand on. Also, Francois was the only woman to ever leave Pablo. Oh, She's like the uh, Rod Stewart, uh, Rachel Hunter. So he must have really hated her. Probably. Pablo's second wife, Jacqueline Roque. Don't know how to say it. It's R-O-Q-U-E. Roque. Yeah. Of course, now he could get married because Olga, who wanted to divorce him for so long, was dead. (laughs) Yay! Um, 
So she was 26 and he was a young buck of 72. Oh, whoa. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a very tumultuous relationship (laughs) and I believe Jacqueline was the jealous type in this kind of particular dynamic. What are you doing, girl? I know. She was also a real piece of work after he died. Did she like... Why did she like love art? I don't know so much. I don't know. What I was mean, he like? Was he charming or something? Like I mean, like I think he was he incredibly charming. Fuck it, and hell. Ta- like also like his accomplishments and achievements. I don't Ugh. know. Like, but really, I'm going to be honest. If like Keith Richards came up to me tomorrow and was like, "I babe, <laughs> scared." Let's get on to it. The stones. I'm from the rolling stone. <laughs> like, I just be like, can you please fuck off? I, like, no I don't. way. Anyway. I'm not being ageist. I'm being like, I am in my prime. Yes. <laughs> and she was 26. You want to fuck hotties. Do you remember what you were doing when you not were 26? I don't. I was too fucked up. Wrinkle like, dick. No. Think of his butt. Ooh. Anyway. Um... Probably similar to my butt, to be fair. Hey, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she was she was a real dick bag after he died because she wouldn't let any of his children or previous partners attend the funeral. Whoa, it's fucking psycho! It was super devastating. So she's so jealous, even though he's dead. Yeah. Whoa. It's very of the sad. children too. One of the members of the family, Pablito, what a great name, mm. public grandson, it was just, it was too much for him and he drank a bottle of bleach and he died. Are you kidding me? No. There were lengthy court battles between family members regarding the distribution of Pablo's wealth and it went on for years. It cost no less than $30 million in legal fees. <gasps> Funnily enough, I did read in some cases that Francois, Claude and Paloma were instrumental in the Musée National Picasso, which is in Paris, which I've been to. Well, that's nice of them. It's a beautiful place and it honours and shares the legacy of their unacknowledging fucking father's work. Mm. It's just so fucking annoying that he didn't get a will. anything to do with it. It's so Ugh. fucking annoying. Why wouldn't you do that? Because, like, he had somewhere within the vicinity of, get this, like 45,000 works. Yeah. So when you think about that, 45,000, all of those need to be authenticated. Yeah. It's like they all need to be valued. They need to be stored. Like, that is a shitload of work. Oof. Ugh, That's too many works, really. Yeah. Chill out. In... <laughs> <laughs> in 1986, Jacqueline also died by suicide. Oh, she shot herself. Hell. Yep. And honestly, I did not realize the trauma of people around Pablo, like until I did this research, the amount of deaths. Mm. A lot of it. And there was this great excerpt from Picasso's granddaughter, Marina Picasso's memoir, describing the way Picasso treated r- women. And she. She really hits it on the head with this, okay? So I'm going to quote, he submitted them to his animal sexuality, tamed them, bewitched them, ingested them, and crushed them onto his canvas. 
after he'd spent many nights extracting their essence. Once they were bled dry, he would dispose of them. She absolutely, like, it's like, she's right. She nails it. All of his artistic periods and dynamic changes in style pretty much align with his relationships with women. The women he was essentially torturing at the time. Um, I'm also really not such a fan of the idea of the muse. I think it's like this very romanticized idea, but essentially someone is just sucking the time and for that matter, like the life out of someone because their creativity and like inspiration is just kind of. Depends who it is, though. Like with Gala and Salvador, it was very different. Yes. And he definitely called her his muse. And sure. she was. Yeah. He painted a lot of pictures of her face. But but mostly, yes, you're correct. More generally speaking. He definitely, like, just generally blew his load for power, no doubt. Pablo once said, um, I would like to quote Papi Pablo right here, um, women are machines for suffering. Oh, you know what? That's that's not the case. That's but, your um, fucking opinion, psycho man. I'm not gonna lie. We do kind of suffer under the pitiful patriarchal rule. Woo! Yeah. Oh, also, I was we just going to say suffer with periods and childbirth and menopause. Yeah. I was going to mention that the Oscar goes to Pablo Picasso. Because he's a massive fucking drama queen, so that should be said. Uh, he was also a super lazy bastard, and I think we maybe I will just not surprised touch on cultural appropriation for like una memento. Sure, go on. So look, the entirety of the modern art movement is based in thievery. Legit, the whole thing it's fucking stolen from non-Western cultures. I get it. Cultures outside of Europe are absolutely fascinating. Pablo incorporated like these faces that resembled African masks and I think this is not necessarily about the appropriation of a culture but rather about the very sticky issue of colonisation and theft. Yeah, yeah. Because Pablo was able to gain access uh, to like view predominantly Iberian sculpture and African masks because he lived in a place that had pillaged and colonised many, many countries and yeah. taken whatever the fuck they wanted yeah. so they could later hang it on walls of a museum within their country. And that's my feelings about it. Was he like, I get, yeah, like how could he have any knowledge of any of that culture. <laughs> because of colonisation. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it's like not necessarily about Papi Pablo. No. It's a bigger issue. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, here's a fun one. Pablo used to carry a gun. It wasn't loaded with bullets though. No, 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 no. He used to load it with blanks and he would fire the pistol <gasps> at people he found dull, displeasing no. or unpleasant. That is Terrible. It fucking is. Obviously, people didn't know it wasn't a loaded gun and they would think he was going to kill them. Oh, my God. Also, just think it would have been so loud. Uh, also, it wasn't like, oh, no, I was going to say, wasn't Brandon Lee killed with a blank that, like, had misfired? But I don't know. Maybe that's a mystery. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. 
let's watch The Crow. All right, well, bye. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just going to say that also I much prefer like Elvis just shooting inanimate objects. Like I prefer that than someone shooting me in the face with a blank or something. Like being like, you're going to die now. (laughs) It's just so gross. It's so sadistic. Like it's like I want to see you suffer before and I want to see you suffer in humiliation or something Horrible. afterwards, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I want to see you squirm. You shit your pants. Or yeah. Something. One of my favourite, so obviously we're all going through a difficult time always. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm being genuine about that. Yeah, like that wasn't to meant to be sarcastic. We're just like genuinely away. everyone, not at our peak, but um, one of my favourite motiva- motivational quotes that sometimes I wake up in the morning, I just need a little boost. So um, Pablo once said, for me, there are only two kinds of women, goddesses and doormats. Oh, wow. Yes, super cute. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Can Goddesses can obviously become doormats though, can't they, Picasso? Sure. You can dream big. You can become a doormat. You can make them one, you fucking prick. Yeah. Um, I wanted to finish with more of a fun story. So um, I listened to this really great ABC podcast called Do Go On, which I also like the title of. Good name. Um, I found it very entertaining and it was about the time someone stole Pablo Picasso's work, The Weeping Woman. Oh, yeah. From the NGV. I remember this story. So it was purchased for $1.6 million dues mm-hmm. and it's worth like more than $100 million now. And there was a lot of controversy around this purchase. And the, before this, the big art fiasco prior to this was the purchase of Jizzwiz Jackson Pollock. Yeah. <laughs> you can go visit one of our previous episodes for that information. <laughs> but we bought Blue Poles. And when I say we, I am talking about the taxpayers. (laughs) Uh, We bought blue poles and the uncouth Australian public was super mad about wasting all their money on art. Art? Come on. Anyway, (laughs) it took like three whole days until anyone was like, hmm, the most expensive artwork in the country is missing. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Three I just, days. I love this story. I just There's fucking love wall? this story. Yeah, but well, not a blank wall. So the thievery happened in 1986, and the people who took it they left a note, um, <laughs> and it said something about maintenance, and it was signed ACT. So the NGV, which is the National Gallery of Victoria, Victoria's State of Australia, we have many states. And they were all like, oh, okay, must have gone for a little getaway to the National Gallery of Australia. In the ACT. Yeah, that's our nation's capital. That's Canberra. And as uh, Amber mentioned, the Australian capital territory is also known as the ACT. But it wasn't those pesky Canberrians. Oh, no. No, they didn't have it. No, it was a group called the Australian Cultural Terrorists. (gasps) I know. Cool. Love it. So they started <laughs> ransoming the shit out of the Victorian government and they had demands and they had a lot of insults. They called Victoria a hick state. Well, it's not. It's like way nicer than everywhere else. I think we, I personally have some uh, opinions on hick states. I'm not going to express them now, but I will express them after we finish recording. But 
You Victoria's know who you not are. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so they called them clumsy and stupid as well, which maybe they were because they didn't notice this was missing. Also, I would like to mention that the NGV didn't have insurance. What the fucking what? With a work that like was worth that much money, apparently it was just completely unaffordable to Holy afford. Holy fucking So they're just what? like, roll the fucking dice. Let's buy this fucking Pablo Picasso work. But yeah, no, we can't get insurance. That is mental, 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 mental. Do I you don't offer understand. just like like a basic CTP on the artwork? Or <laughs> well, I mean, you can't buy another one anyway. It's not no, like, you know, your car dies and you just like give them money but you to get, get money. another car, or your house burns down and you get money to build another one. It's irreplaceable. It's it's priceless. Priceless. Well, apparently not. It's worth more than a hundred yeah. million. I mean, it's priceless. In a replace, shut up, Amber. No, I get what you mean. But um, anyways, the whole thing is still a complete mystery. No one ever knows who did it. But you know what? The culprits were never found. What? But the painting <gasps> was found. Really? In locker number 227 at Spencer Street Station, <gasps> which is now Southern Cross Station, which we are going to go to. Which is in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. We're, we're going away together soon. We're doing our next finished the season in Melbourne. I, I, will we have finished the season then? Yeah. Whatever, we're treating ourselves. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> we're working very hard at our many jobs and this. Yeah. Also, I was just going to say last note, funnily enough, after that whole story, which is really great, and really, I suggest that you listen to that podcast I mentioned because it was very entertaining. What was it called again? It was called "Do Go On." Great, um, but and it's in the show notes. I have it in the show notes, so cool. you can just find the episode if you're that lazy. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but Pablo Picasso was actually also questioned when the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre and he was a suspect. Really? Another story. But look, he did, as you mentioned, pull off a Breton stripe better than just about anyone. (laughs) I'll give him that. He looked great in a stripe. He also kind of looks... When he was younger, he looked a lot like Javier Bardem, who was. Oh no, I don't see Wait, that. Wait, let at me all. get your I picture. Do not see I'm going to put this picture on the Instagram. I'm going to show Kara it right now. It's fucking Javier Bardem, bitch. No, it's... look, he's got beautiful, big. Javier has nose. a much bigger face. Yes, but look, okay, I'm putting it up there. Maybe I'll put a poll up. Gets. We want some opinions because I do not agree. But, like, can we just, for a moment, can we just... Sorry. Is the Breton stripe enough for you, Miss Jones? No, I'm done. He's a yucky fucking psychopath. I just, like, it really pisses me off that he asked a woman to get divorced and then he was secretly (laughs) married to someone else. That's like what tipped me over the edge. What the fuck? Often in this podcast I feel like we will talk about... A man who has done bad things. And sometimes when I hear about cheating and stuff, I'm mm. honestly just like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Bloody it, it happens. Mm. Men are pigs, in, especially in that way. So it doesn't really affect me that much. I think it's the 
It's not the volume of it. It's not the meanness of it. It's just, it's more about just the, like, I feel like he just does not have a personality. His personality is just cunt. He's a fucking (laughs) prick. And, like, that's all he is. So narcissistic. Wildly. I think he, I I honestly. It's horrible. I I don't know if I'm ever going to think about him again, especially after we had that really nice conversation about how art is really important and it's good to look at it and feel it and not really know anything about it. I think that's still good, but Mm. I do think he has. Look, I think he's just like, yeah, I honestly feel like Pablo Picasso had narcissistic personality disorder. And, yes, I would like to be the first to acknowledge that I have a degree in art, which does not allow me to make such snap judgments about people's yeah, true. diagnoses. True. But, but this is what this podcast is about, so just like judging people and making fucking... <laughs> Diagnosis on their personality. He's fine. Well, that's been another art episode edition brought to you by Sorry He Sucks, hosted by one Amber Jones and Karenison. Yes. We uh, really appreciate your listening. Amber also noted before that we do have some social media accounts um, and we'd like to hear what you have to say. Please. Do it. Contact us. We love it. We're on Facebook. But you can also see a lot of that stuff in a better format on Instagram at sorry, he sucks pod. Um, I like Instagram better. I'm just like sick of Facebook. I know. Anyway. Same shit. What do we do? It smells much better. It smells much better. We're doing um we're doing like a nineties kinda thing next week. I mean not just nineties, but like not just nineties. People I feel like that was their timeless in our time. He's not timeless (laughs) to me. Anyway, well uh He is to me. Okay. Anyway, join us to hear us argue about some Classic hotties from the 90s. We argue, but we love each and other. And 2000s. Okay. And now. And now. Okay, fine. Thank you. Love you guys. Sorry, sucks. Sorry. We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Cara Nissen and Amber Jones with music and engineering by Morgan Jones. DJ Morgs! <laughs> Sorry, I should have laughed. Hello.